Well, welcome to Sunday School this morning. Hopefully you guys are all doing well. Expect some response, though, you know. (laughs) Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 is uh, where we've been for the past uh, little bit here, um, uh, trying to get some traction to get through this chapter. Uh, We covered uh, quite a bit uh, last week, um, you know, talking about uh, the operation performed without hands, what happens and what goes on when, uh, you know, w- upon salvation, the cutting away of the flesh and the grafting to the spirit. Um, and uh, we, we we covered that. And I, I want to pick up with verse 13, uh, where he says, In you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, and again, this is you know, one of the demonstrations about why Jesus Christ is preeminent, because he has done this. Uh, there's no one else capable of doing this. Um, and uh, again, this forgiveness uh, brings about life. And we find that there where he talks about being quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, th- there's one thing that I want to point out. If there, in any type of situation... When there's offense, when there's problems, uh, when there's conflict, um, and an apology is made and forgiveness is given, because again, you see that as the root word of forgiveness. When forgiveness is given, uh, life can be restored. Um, many times people try to circumvent the whole forgiveness and apology part try to restore relationships by other means without forgiveness. And and forgiveness is something that we as Christians are are told we need to do. Ephesians 4 covers that very clearly. And the pattern that we find with that is the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. Um, And we find this as he's talking about this here, uh, in this passage, talking about where forgiveness is life, and, and, and yet it's something that we need to make sure that we're keeping in, in, in our mind. That if we want to continue going through this life with a, 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 a if you will, an active, I don't know how to describe it, but just activity, just you know, not being dead and, and uh, uh, slogging through, if you will, there has to be the forgiveness. We have to, we have to begin to understand what that's about. And, and Paul continues in verse 14, really demonstrating how forgiveness is done. And he says here in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, this is, this is an action of forgiveness. This is what happens and occurs. If you flip over a couple of pages to Ephesians 4, and this is one of the reasons why this is so important, why grasping forgiveness is, is, is a principle that, that, that Christ has taught us. And we find in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says in verse 31, let all bitterness, 
and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Meaning there's some things that you need to put off and there are things that you need to put on. And he says here, and be kind one to another. Rather than just being mean and nasty, how about we just be kind to people? It's just a simple thing to do. It's a simple thing to smile at somebody. It's a simple thing to, uh, you know, just just uh, extend a hand out to help or whatever it may be. Just being just being kind is is a huge thing. It's in this day and age, people people don't even understand that people aren't kind. And those that boast about being kind are some of the most unkind, is what I generally find. And and, and you, you you find this. And it, it, Friday night we had uh, the men's Bible study here, and, and I made a comment, and I said most of your false doctrine, if you if you start to notice it, a lot of false doctrine comes from the brethren, it comes from people that claim to be Christian. It doesn't come from atheists or the world. They have other stuff that they use. But when you start talking about false doctrine, those are things that, you know, Paul has pointed out, that's going to come from within. That's going to come from brethren. That's going to come from people that, 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 that are taking and manipulating and using the word of God uh, deceitfully. And, you, you know, again, when we take a look at what we're talking about here with kindness, why is it that sometimes the world is more kind and more forgiving than a Christian? There's people that claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they are some of the most vile people that are out there because they are unwilling to forgive somebody that has made an error or made a mistake or has done something that is has offended them or whatever it may be. I mean, you know, again, people people need to understand that this forgiveness that we as Christians enjoy, it's something that should be shared and given to other people. And here he is, he's talking about this kindness, and that's part of it. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Man, don't we get callous in this world? Oh, good grief. Man, people just, you know, at some point in time, you're just like, you're just mean and cantankerous and nasty. And it's just, you, you get this hardness of heart that builds up. And you know what God says about that? He says he does not like the hard heart. He wants a soft and tender heart. And we have to be tender hearted one to another. And again, sometimes you take a look at it and some Christians are more hard-hearted towards the, 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 the brethren than they are the world. They're willing to accept it. They're willing to say, well, they don't know. You know, a Christian should know better. Well, yeah, a Christian should absolutely know better. But we as believers should be much more tender-hearted towards that individual because we are bonded together by the blood of Christ. You know, this evening we're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper. Well, what brings us together for the Lord's Supper? 
the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross. There's nothing else that's going to bring us together. Yeah, we can all congregate around the same hobby, the same likes, the same job, or whatever it may be, but that doesn't hold all the time. Why? Because hobbies change. Likes change. Jobs change. But praise God, Jesus Christ never changes. So we always will have that bond. And here he says, being tenderhearted, and he says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So he sets a pattern. He says, I want you to forgive each other, but here's the pattern of forgiveness and how this is going to work. I want you to do it the same way Jesus did. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that's that, that that's pretty impressive. Because you go back over here to Colossians and he says, blotting out the handwritings of ordinance that was against us. Blot it out. You blot something out, you cannot see it any longer. You just, it, it, it's just gone. No longer exists. And praise God, that's how he forgives our sin. Can you imagine how miserable your life, my life would be if every single day we were reminded of everything that we've ever done wrong? What was that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cover it in a month. Then we have to start all over again because we, you know, we do things during the day. I mean, it's like, man, it just, it, it, it just gets to a point of we would be so despondent. We'd be in such despair. But with forgiveness comes that hope that God gives us to say, Hey, I'm not holding it to your account any longer. I, I, I don't see it. You know, when I was younger, I, I, again, I wrestled with eternal security and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when a sin would occur and maybe it was something that we, we did and it just kind of weighed heavily on our heart. We'd go to the Lord. We'd ask for forgiveness. We'd receive the forgiveness because we believe first John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that verse. Wholesale, all of it. I'm not going to pick it apart, parse it, you know, do whatever with it and, and, and try to say it says something else. No, it says what it says. I'm forgiven. But how many times do we come to Jesus with the same Oh Lord, you know what I did on Tuesday. And then, and, and, and then we pray for forgiveness. And then Thursday comes around and we're like, Oh Lord, you know what I did on Tuesday. I wonder if God just sits there and goes, No, I don't know. Because I'm looking at the book right now and it is blotted out. He chooses not to remember it. We're the ones that bring it up. It's our heart that brings it up. 
And I tell you, once you, once you grab a hold of the real forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life, and you realize it's forgiven, it's under the blood, it's blotted out, East is, you know, for, as far as east is the west, deepest sea, he remembers no more. Once you get a hold of that, that will change your life. Because the devil can't use those things against you. Your flesh can't use those things against you. The world may try to use those things against you. But you can just simply say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And, and, and this is what we begin to see here with this passage as he, as he, 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 he explores it more and, and if you will, uh, begins to show how this is being done, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way. Now, I, I like that part where he says taking it out of the way. Because when something is in your way, it creates a hindrance, doesn't it? It creates a stumbling block. You're going along a hiking trail, you walk along, and here's this big old deadfall right in front of you. It's in your way. You can't go further. You can't get to a certain point. I remember on one of the Manly Man Macho Mountain missions we went on, uh, there was this log and the thing was, uh, I, I don't even call, wouldn't call it a log. I don't know what you would call this thing. It was six feet, you know, it, it just, it was huge laying right across the trail. We had to go up and around the root ball to get to the other side. Massive, massive tree just fallen over. It was in the way. And, and, and our sin gets in the way. It causes us to stumble. It causes us to fall. It causes us to stop moving forward. It causes us, if you will, to stop running the race. It's a huge hindrance to us. So something has to be done with it. And what happens? Here comes Jesus Christ and just removes it. The path becomes clear. The path becomes uh, uh, available to walk on again. The path is, is, is open for use. And when we trusted Christ as our Savior, those things were removed. Those things were blotted out. They were taken away. And as he says here, what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. Well, the cross means it's dead. We have to count it dead. Sin can no longer live in us. Sin can no longer be used against us. Sin can no longer be considered, if you will, alive in our members. We have to mortify it, as he says. We have to mortify our members daily, realizing I have to put aside my desires of my flesh and what it wants and what my will wants, and I must seek the will of God and seek His holiness and seek His righteousness to glorify Him because of what He's done on that cross. 
And this is something that becomes very important. Turn, turn to Colossians 3, the next chapter over, in Colossians chapter 3, and take a look at verse 13. Let's back up to verse 12, because again, we've got to put on. Whenever you see that th- those words, put on or put off, pay attention. They're very important. Because there's things that we need to put off. We need to put off the works of the flesh and put on the works of the Spirit. And here he is speaking about this. And in verse 12, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Bowels of mercies. In the deepest part of you, you should always exercise mercy. Always. As a matter of fact, that's what Amos says over there when he begins to talk about what man's duty is and what man should be doing and how to please God. And he said, it's the exercise of mercy. That needs to be there. And here he says, put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness. There it is again, kindness. Take a look at the next one, humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind. You don't get very far in the Christian life if pride is continuing to walk with you. Because pride will trip you up. Pride will push you down. Pride will keep you down. Pride will not rise, raise you up. Humbleness is the key. Humility is the key. When you see individuals in scripture that were being used of God, they were humble. They had humility about them. Meekness, long-suffering. But in verse 14, it says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We have to have a different attitude. We have to have a different attitude. And that attitude should always be one of forgiveness. Regardless of what the person does. Well, you don't know. No, but Jesus Christ does and he's willing to forgive. Well, they just did all of this and I, okay, well, we understand that we're not going to discount that sin that's been done, but if they come to you, as Jesus says, when the apostles start asking some questions, how many times should I forgive? Well, how much should we forgive if we use the example of Christ till it kills us? That becomes the example this is what he's getting at. All of these things. And again, the fact that Jesus Christ can do this is amazing. Because we as human beings don't. Oh, good grief. We'll remember something that was done like, you know, in 1996. We'll remember something that was done decades ago and use it against a person. 
Again, praise God, God doesn't do that to us. So this is how we begin to establish why we need Christ's preeminence in our life, why we need to follow that, why we need to follow his pattern, why we need to follow his will, why we need to do what he tells us that we should be doing on a daily basis. Paul is establishing this here and establishing it as principles that we need in our Christian life to just live day to day. If daily forgiveness is not part of uh, your, 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 I don't want to say ritual, but is not part of what you do on a daily basis, man, you're going to build up a lot of bitterness really quickly. And that bitterness will consume you, and it will tear your life apart. It will destroy relationships. I've seen it. I've seen it up close and personal. But here he's making it clear, this is how Christ has forgiven you. This is what happens upon that operation. This is what happens upon salvation. Blotted out. Blotted out. Nailed to a cross. Nailed to a cross. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. You know, David had a lot to be forgiven of. He, he, he made some pretty big mistakes. We were talking about it, uh, Friday with the men and you, you ask children, who's King David? And they'll all be like, oh, King David was a guy that killed Goliath. You ask adults, who's King David? Oh, he's the guy that slept with Bathsheba. Isn't it interesting how we change? over the course of what we focus on. But here, this is what this whole chapter is about. This is when he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, who points at him and says, Thou art the man, meaning he's the one that's in sin, meaning that he's the one that has done something that is so egregious that he's worthy of death. And and and, and he, he here's the humbleness of, of David's heart, how he responds. And we go through all of this, and, you know, verse 4 is one of the more important verses against thee and thee only have I sinned. That's the first step when we start seeking forgiveness, is seeking forgiveness from God. Before you try to seek forgiveness from another person, you need to seek forgiveness from God. Get that taken care of so that you can approach forgiveness from the other person with the right spirit. Otherwise, Again, trying to do something without God is just futile. But take a look at verse 1. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to uh, unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That was his prayer. That's how he started it off. He knew that God had the power to do that. He knew that that was, that was in the abilities of God and God himself. This is why it becomes very critical when you start looking at the book of Colossians and what we find here in, in the book of Psalms, because, it, it, again, this is, if you will, messianic in nature, showing who Jesus Christ really is, that he has the power to do it. Here's David praying to God, well, who is the one that blotted it out? Jesus Christ, on you know, because of that cross, that makes Jesus Christ... 
God. You take a look at verse 9 here. He says, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. Here's this prayer. Those things have to be taken out of the way. Those things have to be dealt with. And then in verse 10, he says, create in me a, a, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Before that can take place, there has to be a forgiveness of sins. We can't have those blessings if sin continues to, 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 to be there. We can't have the new man, as scripture says, upon salvation, if sin is still in the way. And praise God, he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. Take a look at another couple of passages. Go over to the book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter uh, 43. Isaiah chapter 43. <clears throat> Isaiah 43 and in uh, verse uh, 25. Let's back up to verse 24 just for an example here. Uh, here's the Lord, uh, you know, talking here. He says, thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Uh, thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. This is a great passage because he says, I'm not going to remember them. But I want you to remember something. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. I mean, we begin to see the important part of what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to remember him. He doesn't want us dwelling on our sins. He wants us abiding in him. He wants us thinking about him, not what we've done, because that's all taken care of. It was taken care of at the cross, as as Paul is getting at. And here he is talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, they'll be blotted out. Their transgressions will be blotted out. Take a look at chapter 44, the next chapter over, look at verse 22. Verse 22, he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. And praise the Lord for redemption. Praise God that he redeemed us. And here he is, he's telling Israel, and Israel's done some stuff that's just absolutely foul. But again, compared to ours, we're doing the same stuff. And here he is willing to say, I'm going to blot it out. You're not going to be able to see it. You're not going to be able to look past it. And, and, And this is an amazing concept for us to begin to understand about what he's talking about. Turn over to Proverbs, since we're kind of in the same general area. Proverbs chapter 17 just to kind of to 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 show you a little bit of a a principle that's here, Proverbs chapter seventeen, 
And, and again, I want you to keep this in mind when we're talking about the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances. It's covered. Take a look at verse 9. Proverbs 17.9 says this, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Sometimes we can kind of, if you will, separate that relationship that we have with God. I'm not talking about we we're unsaved, but that we put something in that relationship that we shouldn't. We cause a conflict, especially when we're dwelling on our sins. They're forgiven. That's the love of Christ. And this is what he's talking about here. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. And that's an amazing thing because people will focus on, I mean, man, we focus on the wrong things, don't we? I mean, there'll be something else going on that's super important, and then we'll focus on some minutia of whatever that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And, and people will do that. People will focus on, oh man, well hell is just a so horrible, nasty place. The lake of fire burning forever or eternity. Oh, a loving God wouldn't do that. No, a loving God is willing to cover what you did that deserves, that you deserve to be there. That's the amazing thing. That's the love of God. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God and how great God's love is. Well, God's love is great in that he covers your sins. And praise God, he does that. Praise God, he does that upon salvation. Otherwise, we'd be in some serious trouble. We'd be in some serious trouble. Go back over to the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. And in verse 15, not only does he blot it out, but, but, but here comes the victory part. Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. No one else has been able to do that. There's a lot of people that, that, that argue, and uh, you know, there's uh, some certain uh, clerics and sheiks and uh, imams that are claiming that Muhammad raised from the dead, while the other, um, how many ever. You know, sects of Islam say, oh, well, no, he didn't really, and, and so on and so forth, and there's this back and forth about it, and, but, but the fact is, is that Muhammad died and he was buried. And his bones have either still in the grave or they have rotted away and turned to dust. The same with every other religious leader and guru that's been out there. Every pope that has ever been that's, uh, passed away, they're still dead. Every person that has uh, attained, you know, those, uh, uh, the, the, if you will, those levels of uh, uh, priests in, in, in Buddhism, they, they, they've passed away, their, their bones, their bones are still there. Not Jesus Christ. We've got an empty tomb. And this is why, because it says in verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So here we are talking about the preeminence of Christ. This is one of the biggest, biggest parts of the preeminence of Christ is that he has dominion over all other principalities and powers. 
They have to go to him. Did you ever notice that? Go over to the book of Job. This may not be new to you, but, you know, hey, it's always good to to to, to take a look at this and, and remind ourselves of this. In Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, in verse 6, Job chapter 1, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came also among them. You know what that means? Satan still has to do what God says. Satan wanted to, Satan so desperately wanted to get Job to curse God to prove that, that, that Satan was right and, and God was wrong. Because if the devil can prove God was wrong, then he can prove God isn't God. And it's a futile attempt. He tries it anyways, but God keeps setting limits. You can do that, but you can't go that far. Aren't you glad that there isn't unfettered access to destroy your soul by the spirits and the powers that be out there? Because let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Those devils, those fallen angels, those principalities, those powers, they want to destroy you. They have no love for you. They want to ruin your life. And God says, you need some armor for that. I'm going to give it all to you right out of this book. Praise God for that. But but here's the important part. When we remember that we fight, as he said, talks about over there in the in, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, where he's talking about put on the whole armor of God, remember this. The victory has already been won. He has already spoiled them. He's taken away from them any power that they think they have. It's gone. It says they're right there. He spoiled them. He spoiled them. He made a show of them openly. I mean, there they are. And he talks about how if the princes of the world knew what was going to happen, they wouldn't have done it. He's not necessarily talking about mankind. Because remember, there's principalities over every nation. They think Jesus Christ is dead. On the third day, he raises up. No, 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 he's supposed to be dead. Nope, he's walking around. No, 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 no. He, we, we, we killed him. Nope. He's not dead. Then he shows up to them and says, yeah, guys, you got it wrong. 
he made a show of them openly. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if all of this, you know, those principalities and powers were assembled right there in heaven to come and, you know, give an account of what they were doing or whatever was going on. But, but Jesus Christ shows up and shows them openly, I'm not dead. And that's a victory that we can look to and go, Praise God for that. We can, we can desire to be close to that, to stick with that, to have that as, if you will, at the forefront of our mind. This is, oh man, I gotta, I have to go after that. I have to pursue that victory. I mean, take a look over at, uh, Revelation, book of Revelation, Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one. Here, he, here he is. Um, in this passage, Jesus Christ begins to speak. John is seeing the throne room. He's, he's, I mean, he's seeing all of this amazing stuff going on, and and, and the Lord tells him he's got a, a message he wants to deliver to these seven churches. And in uh, in verse. Uh, um, in verse 17, here's John, and it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen, and have the keys of death and of hell. They're his now. He spoiled them. He took it away. He has the, and when we begin to realize the, 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 the power behind the resurrection and what happened there and the fact that that power of his resurrection is what brings about the fact that we can have eternal life. Man. Why isn't Christ preeminent in our life? Why isn't he the first place that we go to? I mean, let's think about this. You have a problem. It requires somebody that has some strength. There's an individual that has demonstrated to you because of their power and because of how much they can lift and because of all of their strength that they have, they cannot do what whatever it is you need done, they can do it. But yet we go to the guy that can't even lift a one-pound weight. Can you open this jar for me? The guy's sitting there straining. (laughs) Tries it. You know, he's over there just sweating, <laughs> trying to get the thing open. And right next to the guy is the guy that can just go and pop it open. Two seconds. Why do we go to the other guy? Well, 
we go to the flesh because we think that's what's best. Well, what, what, we think that, that I can rely on that. But the fact is, is that Jesus Christ is far more powerful. He is, he, he, he has so much more strength. And Paul's pointing out saying, why wouldn't we have him be preeminent? If he blotted out your sins and, 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 and remembers them no more and he spoiled principalities and powers, as it says here, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Why would we not want to go there? Why wouldn't that be our first stop? Now, he sets all of this up to go into these next verses because, again, there needs to be a change in our heart and a change in the mind to the way we think. Now, refrain from going to Romans chapter 12. But take a look at what he says here in this passage in verse 16. He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or in the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, now again, here he is with another let no man. Meaning, don't let somebody else control you. Don't let somebody else control you. We as human beings open the gates, if you will, of our city, and we let somebody come in and rule and reign in our life. So frequently. You ever have a person that's just aggravated you so much that that just occupies 80% of your awake time? The only, the only reason that the, the, the other 20% is because you're thinking about how you need to get food in you so that you can continue to think about that person. <laughs> you know what that person's doing? They're controlling your life. By proxy, they, you have given them full access to your mind and to your heart to just let them do what they're going to do, and you just sit there and you stew about it, and you fret about it, and you worry about it, and you get angry about it, and you get sad about it, and then all these things come up, and it's because of that person. Let no man. Don't let that happen. And here he says, let no man judge you in meat or drink or holy days. But notice that there's the thereof there. Or excuse me, therefore. Sorry. Therefore. That therefore is referring back to the stuff that he just talked about. If Jesus Christ is preeminent, therefore you are not going to let any man control you. If your thought processes are all about what Christ has done, then you're not going to care what a man is trying to impose upon you. The Galatians had to learn that the hard way. 
Others had to learn that the hard way. Titus was fretting a little bit about it. But Paul said, don't worry about it. You don't need to do those things. Don't let the Jews judge you. You're a Gentile. But here he's talking about this very specifically. He says, let no man there, uh, there, uh, therefore judge you and me. And this is again, this is, this is the third warning that he's putting out here. We have two warnings prior. Here's the third warning that he's giving to people saying, if you do not have Jesus Christ as your preeminent, this is what's going to wind up happening. You're going to allow somebody to judge you and they're going to judge you and dictate to you what you can and cannot do. Well, only Christ has that capability because he is the preeminent one. And we go through and we find in Scripture what the law of Christ is, which is bearing one another's burdens. We find all of these things that he tells us that we we can do and we have liberty. If somebody chooses that they don't want to eat pork, fine. Who cares? But if somebody chooses to eat pork, fine. Who cares? But what happens is, is when Christ isn't preeminent, we bring in a conflict. We bring in discord among the brethren. Something that God specifically said he hates in Proverbs 6 and considers an abomination. Fine. If somebody, if somebody comes to you and says, well, I, 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 I don't eat pork because, you know, there's some stuff in, in the Old Testament that I, I just, I just don't want to do that. Not our job to change their mind. It's not our job to convert them to baconism. But it's also not their job to convert us to be anti-bacon. They're not to sit there and judge what we do on a day-to-day basis. And oh man, look at look look look, they just ate it. Oh look, he pushed that off his plate. Why? Because then that starts putting us as a preeminent. We shouldn't be doing those things, and, and and we don't have time to get into this uh, this uh, this Sunday. But but next Sunday we're going to get into looking at more of this because this is not just a subject that comes up once in the Pauline epistles. It's not just once that this comes up. This comes up multiple times. It wasn't happening just at Colossae. It was happening over in Corinth. It was happening over in Rome. And there was only one thing that that was kind of given over there. And I want to go to this one verse over in the book of Acts. Go over to the book of Acts, chapter 21. There was one thing that was, that was given when the, uh, when the, the first kind of, if you will, uh, believers in the church that were Jewish, they still weren't doing certain things. They were still having, you know, certain things going on. And, and again, you know, Peter comes in and says, Hey, we can't expect, uh, 
you know, the Gentiles to keep the law. We didn't keep the law. How in the world can we expect them who are completely, you know, the law is foreign to them to keep that? So they go and they're giving these, uh, um, you know, commissions in Acts chapter 20, uh, 20, uh, 21. Um, <clears throat> Uh, there's a kind of this commission that's given in verse 23 and verse 24. Uh, but you get down to verse 25. He says, as touching the Gentiles, which believe talking about believing Gentiles saved, born again, children of God, Gentiles that the Jews are sitting there still going. Okay. He says, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing saying, I don't want them doing the same Jewish vows, doing the same things following the feasts, following all those other things. They're saying that's not for them. He says that they observe no such thing, save only they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Why is that? Because those could be a stumbling block to Jewish believers. And here's where we're going to start studying this out next week. But when we kind of with pride and a lack of humility lift up ourselves and, if you will, impose our will based upon our judgments upon another person, God points out that we're lacking charity. And charity is one of the most important things every Christian should understand. Because if we don't understand charity, we're not doing the will of God. That's a bold statement. But if charity is absent in what we do on a day-to-day basis, then we're doing it for ourselves. And I tell you, that'll burn at the judgment seat of Christ. That'll burn. And we won't have anything. But next week we'll pick up right where we left off talking about those things. Talking about the the meats and the holy days and things of that nature. And we'll get into that a little bit more detail. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Take a small break and come back for 11 o'clock service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to study your word. Um, specifically learning about how preeminent you should be in our lives daily. That, Lord, it wouldn't just be something else that, uh, whether it's sin that becomes preeminent or a man that becomes preeminent, those things, Lord, should be cast down. And we should always have you as the first in everything that we do. I thank you again, Lord, for what you've preserved for us and given to us in your word. Pray you just continue to meet with us and teach us and guide us and direct us in the 11 o'clock hour. Thank you again, Lord, for all your love and care and compassion upon us. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.